0: From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for being with us on Christmas Eve. Uh, My name is Greg Sanders. If you're new here this is your first time with us at Vintage, Thanks for choosing to be with us for your holiday. Hey, we've been looking um, at the Christmas story, and we're going to look at that again this morning. Before I before I get there, I want to kind of give everybody an update and a heads up on what tonight's going to look like. Tonight, we come back together for a Christmas Eve gathering at 5 o'clock. It'll be a different gathering than what we're having this morning, um, based See, if it was me and I was going to choose, I would have come in the morning and had the night off. But apparently, everybody's coming tonight, so I would get here early and get your seat. Um, the other thing I wanted to highlight is that next Sunday, we, we take the last Sunday of the year off every year. We give all of our teams that work so hard week in and week out that week off, and just uh, tell everybody, just be with the fam- your family in the holidays. Uh, for, for me, that comes out of a conviction in just studying the history of Israel and realizing how how much God is a God of festival and celebration and really I I think it's an important thing for us to just be together as families and focus on that. Um, But for some of you who uh, last year some of the feedback we got was, hey we loved it but we really wanted to do something at home church-wise and my answer was, well you have a Bible but uh, we decided to help that process. You see that was a joke Um, but not really. Um, We decided to help that process and so this year uh, if you're on the mailing list, And you get our Vintage City Church emails. Uh, We just put together a a simple little devotion you can do together as a family. A great time to kind of seal the year and look forward. And so if you are not on uh, the mailing list and you want that, it's really simple. Just go to the website and subscribe and we'll make sure that you get that. So we're in our fourth week of what we've been calling snapshots on Christmas. Uh, The Christmas story uh, is pretty familiar in our culture. There's very few people in our culture that don't understand the idea of the manger And the animals, and the shepherds, and the wise men, and Mary, and Jesus—all they get it. It's—it's—it's become so commercialized that, you know, it's everywhere. And there's—not to discredit it. I mean, I I sat at the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas play that was up at the Lincoln Center, um, and we went as a family. um, And at first, I'm not going to lie, I was starting to nod off in the front half of it. Um, And then the back half of this thing happened, and this character comes out, now. I have no idea whether this person knows the Lord or not, but in the monologue, this character begins to recite scripture, just over and over, and just talking about the, it's Linus and the, is the character, and I just, I literally started tearing up, because I realized like, the word of God is so powerful, like even in a commercial culture, when they don't know what they're saying, it's still broadcasting over the room, and I love that part of our culture, The part that concerns me, though, is because we're so familiar with the story, because we're so familiar with the characters, it's easy to glass over it and not ask an important question, which is, what was God doing with these individual characters in the story? Because every single character in the story, there's there's a story within itself of how God was interacting with them. So we started our journey looking at Zachariah and Elizabeth. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are advanced in years at this time, they're post-60. Now, for some of you, you're like, wait, that's not advanced. What Luke meant here was they were past the age of, they were past the age of having children. It was, it was physically no longer possible. They had their entire life been faithful to God, and they'd been longing to have their own child. She's barren. In her barrenness is, is wrestling with the shame and the difficulty that that brought, the stigma that was connected to it in the culture. And from their life, we just we mind a simple, a simple question. What does it look like to face our own impossibility with the Lord? What can we learn from how they faced it? And then the next week we looked at John the Baptist who God answered their impossibility, brought a child, and it's John. And, and so there's these prophetic words spoken over John before he's even born. It's a Nazarite vow that's spoken over him that he'll, he'll be set apart, he'll be holy, he'll be fully devoted to God. No razor will ever touch his hair. He'll never drink wine or hard liquor. And it's this, this vow that's spoken over him. And, and at times we look at what God did with John the Baptist in history. Here's a guy who is the forerunner to Jesus and changes a culture. And we look at it and it's almost like we just assume. John the Baptist did these things because this is what God said. But we, but we, we miss something very important. John made a choice to devote himself to God. John made a choice to align with the call of God on his life. And if God could change the world through John's decision to be fully devoted, then it forces me to ask a question. What can God do with my life if I'm fully devoted? How can God change the world around me? Whether I'm at school, whether I'm in the marketplace, whether I'm at home in the neighborhood, how can God change the world around me when I live fully surrendered to him, fully devoted? Then last week we looked at Joseph, the father of Jesus, and asked the question, why Joseph? What about Joseph caused God to choose him to raise his son? Seems like a fairly important job. And as we study Joseph's life, what we begin to see is that Joseph was a man who walked in integrity. And, and I wanna define integrity because in our culture I think integrity, integrity at times can be a moving target. The integrity that Joseph walked in was an integrity where he he had a a constitution that said, Scripture, God's word, God's plan will govern my life. I'm going to live the way God says to live, period. I'm not going to allow my life to deviate from that. And if you look at the, the whole of Joseph's life, it was very clear. This was a disciplined man who just had a kingdom integrity and And we looked at a principle that's really simple. God's looking for people of kingdom integrity to elevate and release in our day and in our time. And that brings us this morning to Joseph's counterpart, which I want to look at Mary this morning. The mother of Jesus. It's hard to refer to her as a woman. We need to refer to her more as a young lady. She's 13 to 15 at this time. That puts her somewhere between 7th and ninth grade in our culture. She's honored and revered in our culture, but I don't know that we investigate very often the nuances of what made Mary who she was. And I want to ask the same question about Mary that we, we asked about Joseph. Why Mary? What in Mary drew God to her? What caused him to say, this is the woman I want to imprint my son? All of us in here are aware that moms play a phenomenal role in in the shaping of who we are. I use the word imprint. It's a a clinical term that deals with, here's the reality that all of us understand. Mom's going to teach me how to handle situation. She's going she's gonna to form my emotional process. She's going to shape the way I focus on life, the way I, way I approach life even. And so my question is, why Mary? Why did God choose Mary to imprint Jesus? She wasn't just going to have a one-time job. She wasn't just going to give birth and be done. No, she's going to raise him. She's going to shape him. She's going to nurture him. She's going to teach him. The way he approaches life emotionally is going to be heavily altered by her. It makes me very curious, why Mary? What is it about this young lady? And so the same way that we approach Joseph, I wanna approach Mary, which is to ask the question, well, what do the scriptures show us about her? So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter one. If you don't, it'll be up on the walls. Luke chapter one, I wanna read it this morning. Verse 26 says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So the first thing that we learn, the first thing the scriptures reveal about Mary is that we know she was engaged to be married and she had not been married before. The word that is used, the angel Gabriel came to a virgin named Mary, in our culture, because of the way we use the word virginity, it's hard for us to understand what this one means. This word deals specifically with her age and her status in life. This word is not dealing with her, her intimate history. It's the word parthenos in the Greek, and it literally means a daughter of marriable age. Now, in a Jewish culture, once a girl came to the age of 12, she was, she was technically marriable. Most scholars, as I said, put Mary 13 to 15 here. And so what this means is that she's simply in her dad's house. We know she's engaged. We, under, we looked at that last week, what that entailed. She would be in, in, a, in a stage of the engagement to which she would still live at home while Joseph is away. So Gabriel appears to Mary. And he says to her, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And we learn a second thing about Mary. Now, warning these aren't rocket science. She was bothered by what the angel said. But I want to ask why. See, the word, the word that, that describes her in the Greek is perplexed or agitated, it's an emotional reaction to what has been said to her. Does that catch anybody else as curious? greetings, the Lord is with you, why would that catch somebody and agitate them? I mean, that does seem like a a very odd reaction to what the angel said. Every once in a while, it's totally fair to have fun and ask questions of scripture that we don't know are there. Here's what, here's, can I give you one of my hypotheses? Here's what I think the angel said to her. The word in the, the word phrase in the Greek is the supreme Lord is with you. I wonder if he was using terminology that we can't pick up in our culture that said something unto the Lord's in your body. Because she has a very clear reaction to it. Does it matter to the story? Nope. Just a fun thing to think about. But he says to her, don't be frightened, Mary. The angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. And so we learn a third fact about Mary. We learn that she was a virgin. This word is different here different than the word used in verse 27. This word does deal with her intimate history. It means I have never taken a man. I, I've, I've never done the things necessary to be pregnant. And she responds, if you look at it in the Greek, it's not this quiet, docile, well, how's that gonna happen, I'm a virgin. She's very emphatic in the Greek. It's it's an aggressive response. It's like she's standing up for her rights, which tells us something. It tells us that she understands the ramifications of what's being said. Because if we go back to last week's study and we look at the socioeconomic structure, for her to be found pregnant prior to their marriage would render her unmarryable. She would spend the rest of her days in their culture alone. She would never leave her father's house. And so she's standing up for herself, and, and she says to the angel, there's no way. I think that it shows us something about her personality that's important to highlight. It shows us something about her character more than her personality. For Mary, her virginity and her purity wasn't an accident. It was something that she had guarded with intentionality. And I'd love to give us just a simple truth that translates across the board to men and women. My purity is never accidental. The choice to live in purity is always an intentional decision and it deals with what I am unwilling to be a part of. And that's what we see here in Mary. She's arguing this very case. I have stayed away from the things that could get me there. How can this happen? And then an interesting thing happens. The angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. So there's this moment where the angel responds to her question. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And he just lays it out. And we learn a fourth fact about Mary, which is kind of hidden. Mary knows the scriptures. You say, how do you know that? Because what the angel states, is a, he, he, he restates Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7, it says, look, a virgin will conceive. He will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so what Mary does, is so interesting here, she goes from being somewhat hostile, somewhat agitated, standing up to instantly responding with this phrase, okay, I am the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. And she dials it back instantly. Doesn't that seem like an odd response? The only way that she has this response is if she's familiar with the idea that a virgin can give birth. Which tells us that she's a young woman who has has spent time in the text, studying the text, knowing the scriptures. Whether she got that through listening in synagogue or whether she read it on her own, there's no way for us to know. But what we know is that she had paid attention to the history of God, to the way God had interacted with his people. She knew it enough that when the angel gives it to her, it's not new information. It literally goes in a filter and says, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, cool. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. There's a a passage of scripture that's known as Mary's Mary's Magnificat, which is something that she's revered for. And I want to read it because it highlights, listen to the language of it. If this is a 13 to 15-year-old girl, any parent in this room would be honored and proud if this was what's coming out of their teenager. Listen to what she says. Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he... The mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things. How he scatters the proud and the haughty ones. He's taken princes from the thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. How he has helped his servant Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful. For he promised our ancestors, Abraham and his children, to be merciful to them forever listen to the terminology nobody says that without having a grasp on who god is in the scriptures but all those things are fun but it's this fifth thing we learn about mary that is the the most important aspect of who she is in this phrase i am the lord's servant i'm willing to accept whatever he wants mary shows us something about who she is she's fully surrendered to God. Think through the phrase. How many have faced difficulty in your life this last year? How many when you faced it, the first thing that came out of you is, I am the Lord's servant, I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. (laughs) That is not the human reaction. The human reaction is to pout, to manipulate, to control, to cajole, to figure out a way to script it the way we want it because at the end of the day, if it didn't work for me, I need to fix it so it works for me because it's never our reaction to say, you know what, I trust God, I'm his servant. If this is what he has for me, I'll take it. And what Mary examples for us is phenomenal. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. You see, it's so easy for us to read this And say, oh, look, it's Mary, Mother Jesus. That's such a cool phrase. And miss the fact that all of us face situations every day that God has led us into. Things that have happened around us. Do we trust God at this level where we could just push pause and say, you know what? I'm not going to freak out. I'll trust you. I'm your servant. See, I think this, when we ask the question, why Mary? I think this is the reason. God knew he could trust Mary with his son because Mary had decided to trust God with her life. And what if we hold back the process of God in our life because we don't trust him? Because that's what I see here. Mary was able to do what God called her to do because she trusted him enough to just submit her life to him to lead. Do you notice that we don't know if Mary loved this choice? We have to understand the implications for her would would be severe. She was the one that was going to have to go through the ridicule, the difficulty, anything that would come. She at this time doesn't know how it's going to go down. All she knows is the angel of the Lord said this is from God. She's like, okay, I'll take it. if fits from him. You see, my willingness to be used by God releases God to use me. And for all of us, I do believe the Lord is looking for that condition of soul to where I will say, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. What about our marriages? What about our jobs? What about our relational situations, the ones that are difficult and it's not going great? What does it look like if I can take a deep breath and say, Lord, I'm your servant? I'll do whatever you want right here. I'll be faithful because you told me to be faithful. I'll go to this job and do a great job every day because you gave me this job. And we let go of our desire to shift and manipulate and control and we just rest the way Mary did. You say, how do you do that? Well, I don't think Mary just had a supernatural gift. I don't think she was just so graced by God that she could do this. If you think about what we looked at, the fourth point, which was that she knew the scriptures. I actually think that there was something in Mary that is important for us to learn. She had a relationship with the scriptures. She had studied them to know God. She had, had read them and, and, and hungered to know him, not just to find information. And in this pursuit of knowing God, she becomes so acquainted with who he is and with his history and with how he's worked in people's lives and with his faithfulness and his, and his continued strength that she is able to say, okay, This God that I've read about, this God that I've studied, I trust you with my life because I've watched you be faithful years before. I've heard the stories of your fame, therefore, I can trust you. What's it look like for us to begin to investigate the scriptures as a life pattern to know him so that in those moments when we're in difficulty and we're facing, you know, Husbands and wives, I know none of you fight, but what's it look like if in the midst of you fighting, you have that moment, you know, that moment where you would rather kick the person's teeth in than talk to them? What's it look like to just bow your head and say, you know what, Father, I know you're faithful. What do you want right now? To hear his voice, I want you to humble yourself, okay? I am your servant. I'll do whatever you want. What's it look like in the marketplace when that promotion passes you by? And instantly, all the internal monologue of "I've been done so wrong. I can't believe they miss me. Do they not see me?" And you're just—it rolls, and it just starts like a snowball rolling downhill. What's it look like to stop and say, "You are Jehovah Jireh. You're my provision. My job's not my provision. I'm your servant. Whatever you bring into my life, I'll take." I would say that that only comes as the fruit of being a person that is committed to knowing the scriptures, not to be a good believer, but because they teach me how to trust him. They teach me how to chase him. They teach me because he's never failed anybody in the text, he won't fail me. And I just wonder as we look at the Christmas story again, and we look at Mary in a different light, and we ask the question, can I learn from her how to surrender? Can I have the discipline to just find the find solace in the Scriptures, to study them, to know God? But am I willing to be in my situation surrendered, whatever it is? I want to take bread and cup this morning. How many in here struggle with control? Good, I'm not alone. See, control is the illusion that life would be better if it went the way I wanted it to go. Somebody laughed, that's good. It is an illusion. Life is best when God's in control. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. A future and a hope, blessing not cursing. What does it look like for us to walk into a new year with an understanding My God has my best at heart. Therefore, I can roll through life without freaking out and trust him. I can stay put in this situation that doesn't feel very good because I trust him that he'll make a way. I can stay married in this situation that's not very comfortable because I trust him he'll make a way. We're not just talking about the Christmas story. We're talking about everyday life. And God chose a woman to imprint her son because he knew she trusted him and she would willingly surrender her life to his purposes and his plans. She wouldn't fight to get out of the situation. And I wonder this morning if we could ask ourselves that question. God, do I trust you? Maybe some of you are in situations you're like, ah, this is hitting me between the eyes. This is yucky. And the answer is I need to trust God. And maybe the answer is, God, I need to repent and just tell you, I have, I have not trusted you. I have believed that my plan is better than your plan. Maybe some of you are in here and you're like, I trust God totally. Life is so smooth. Praise God for you. Congratulations. Take bread and cup, tell Jesus you love him, and call it good. But I feel like this is a moment for us to wrestle through. Is he really going to govern my life or not? Am I really going to let him? Let's stand this morning. Fathers, we step into this time to take bread and cup. Lord, we just invite you to come. Invite you to lead us into deeper trust, deeper commitment. Lord, in the areas where we need to let go of some stuff, we just ask you to help us with that. Lord, in the areas where we need to embrace your leadership more help us out with that Jesus we thank you for your body and for your blood and for the incredible gifts they are that because of your body we're healed we're transformed and because your blood we're emancipated from sin and we're grateful for that we love you and we honor you Jesus name amen we'll have teams at the windows if you need somebody to pray with you they have a lanyard on please feel free to utilize them let's take bread and cup Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.